0: When I was in eighth grade, uh, I had a nickname when I was in eighth grade, and my nickname was two words. You know what those two words were? Short stuff. That was my nickname too. Me too. <laughs> Short stuff. Short stuff. Do you know how much I hated that nickname? Oh, I hated it. Every time it came out, I was a late bloomer, okay? Between my senior year of college and getting married, I grew a suit size, I was a late bloomer, but I was really, really short when I was in eighth grade, short stuff. Oh, every time, it just stung. It stung every time. I am slowly losing my hair. Actually, some people would say in my family I'm quickly losing my hair. I've got a spot here. I know the guy who cuts my hair now is like, you need to do, go long. You need to go long. I'm like, no, no, we're not going down that road. No comb-overs, okay? <laughs> Jenny likes to tell me that I'm going gray. I tell her my hair is becoming translucent see but here's the thing even though i'm kind of okay with losing my hair i know that when i'm 55 if somebody comes up to me and says hey baldy it's gonna sting i'm gonna go oh why are you pulling that out thank you very much oh in our 20s, why is it that one critical thing can stab and hurt so much isn't it just one thing, one comment, it does it. It's the weirdest thing. When Ginny and I were in our 20s, we were the children's directors uh, for a children's ministry in a medium-sized church. Um, and, you know, we, we got it going, we got it started, we got like 12 people working together in, in harmony. Do you know how hard that is sometimes in life, you know, to get 12 people going anywhere the same direction? And we stepped out, uh, I can't remember why, I think I was finishing up my thesis and, and, and Jenny was taking night classes and we're like, we, you know, we need to step aside. So they, they had an event. They threw us a party. And they were like talking about all the great things God had done because we had stepped up and that we were all working together. The very next Sunday, the guy who was the new director pulled me aside in the hallway and said to me, I just want you to know that we're going to be doing stuff the right way now. And it's not going to be fluff And it's not going to be stuff that's not under the submission of the authority of the Bible. Oh, we had just had a party, and everybody was like, yay, and you're telling me this? Do you know how long it took to get over that one stab? A while. It was like weeks, and that was in the wake of a party. There's an old saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And you know, that's a lie. That is such a lie. It is so not true. And Isaiah did a great job drawing that out in the baggage series, okay? That is so not true. Words can hurt. Words are powerful. They are. Jonathan Acuff, in his book Start, says this. He says, In the face of 1,000 compliments, you and I only have eyes for the negative. Let me say that again. In the face of 1,000 compliments you and I only have eyes for the negative. He calls it critics math, and it's actually something he borrowed from the world of counselors. Counselors have used this formula for a long time. The formula goes like this. It's a mathematical emotional formula. One insult plus 1,000 compliments equals one insult. Let me cover the math again. If you're married and you're a man, you know this is true. One insult plus 1,000 compliments equals what? One insult, boom. If you have a job evaluation and your supervisor sits you down and says, I just wanna know the initiative that you showed on this project and pulling together Greg and Susan, that was awesome. I also want you to know, the stuff that you're doing on our internet portal, that's just, that's, that's great. I mean, it's driven up traffic. Thank you so much. Maybe he or she talks about the fact that you're such a team player at work. But there's, I just need to draw this to your attention. There's one thing, you know, you're late a lot. You're, just, you're not here, you're late. I just needed you to be on time. Now that job evaluation, how many things were said that were positive? Three. What do you, what are you thinking about on the drive home? What do you go home and tell your spouse? You're not going to believe what my supervisor said. What, honey? Said I'm late all the time. Can you believe it? Isn't that weird how critics' math works? It's so not cool is what it is. It's not cool at all. The Bible actually has some things to say about words, all right? So, if you got a Bible, you can open it. Crack it open to the book of James. James was Jesus' stepbrother. It's found toward the end, toward the back. It's kind of sort of before Revelation and after some lot of stuff that Paul wrote, letters, okay? The book of James. This letter was written by Jesus' stepbrother to a Jewish audience, half-brother, stepbrother. Oh, half-brother, that's right, half-brother. Okay, yeah, I get my, okay, see, I get my family stuff all mixed up. Okay, half-brother, thank you, Chris, People will listen, and then I'll get emails. Ah, Okay, no, I won't get those. Okay, so these Christians were struggling with three things that he's writing this letter to. They were struggling with three things they weren't taking care of widows and orphans, they were showing favoritism to rich people, and they were saying harsh and hateful things to one another. I know you were thinking, I thought that was just like Baptists in the 1900s. No, no. goes all the way back to the first century okay so this is why James says what he does in the first eight verses of chapter three so James chapter three and I'll throw it up on the big screen for you okay dear brothers and sisters not many of you should become teachers in the church well there's a good way to start for we who teach for we who teach will be judged more strictly Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Why are you picking on teachers? Well, as my wife likes to say, my wife is an elementary school teacher, I'm a teacher. I talk a lot. To which I would always go, Jenny, you're Jenny. You talk a lot. You know, I'm I'm always in awe. I can't, you know, I feel like I can only get 100 words out to her 10,000, but... Teachers, by the nature of what we do, we talk a lot. We say things. Trust me, as a pastor, I'll do a a sermon or a teaching time, and then somebody will thank me for what I said, and I'll go, I didn't say that, but they walked away with something. Okay, glad God could use that. I don't remember saying that or implying that, so teachers talk a lot. There's risk when you're using words, because words can be mistrued, misunderstood. There can be nuances, and words can potentially hurt as well as help, so That's why he says what he does in those first two verses. Let's keep going on, verse 3 and 4. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder can make a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. If a horse has a bit, you're in in good, good stead if you're on the horse. If the horse doesn't have a bit in its mouth and somebody gives it a whack do you know how you're going to stop that horse? You're not. <laughs> it's going to... Oh, I wish I had my coconuts. You know, it's going, to, it's going to do this until it goes off the cliffs of insanity all the way to the bottom. That's two movie references right there. Okay, so all the way. Oh, Okay, no bit, no control. The same thing is true with the boat. Uh, Jenny and I have, we're ne- have never been on a cruise in our lives until this summer. Grandma and Grandpa wanted to go on this cruise. D- this Disney boat is this huge boat. I mean, you're looking at it, you're like, man, that's big. Little, little bitty, tiny rudder. Turns that huge ship. I have a 14 foot kayak that's got just this rudder. It's about this big. It's amazing. It's foot pedaled. If I press my left foot, all of a sudden, you know, I'm doing this in the water. One tiny little thing totally eclipses 14 feet of boat displacement. It's the funniest thing. So let's keep going on. So verses 5 and 6, James is giving these uh, word pictures to describe the power of the tongue. Verse 5, In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Yes, we know, we all heard politicians. But a tiny spark, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness. What? Corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. That's some harsh stuff, isn't it? Right? Like there. I mean, it's totally dissing the tongue in the section of the Bible. But you know what? My mom would tell you, thankfully, she's not here today. When I was in seventh and eighth grade, I had a bit of a tongue. You could say I was a backtalker. Um, my dad likes to say that I was working out my angst. But I, just to be oppositional, would tell my parents what I thought of them and their rules and life and blah, 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 blah. And it's the funny thing. Once it's out of your mouth, do you know how many times my butt was solved? They even used soap, real soap, one time. I was in junior high school. That is illegal. Illegal, I'm telling you. Child abuse. You can call DCF right now. Turn my mom in. It <laughs> would <That'd> be terrible. am <laughs> knocking on her door. Mrs. Vanderpoel, we hear you use soap back in the 1970s. Okay? So isn't it weird? When you're married, you know this. The funny thing is when you love somebody so much, the potential and the risk for hurt is so great because the stakes are so high because you love them so much. But in the context of a marriage relationship, a husband or a wife will say things to the other person that, boom, it's out of the mouth, and then, what? You know, and then it goes nuclear, and the kids are like fleeing the house, you know, right away, (laughs) okay? I'm just saying, that's why he's got this imagery. Fire in the ancient world, outside of your fire pit or fireplace, was a bad thing. Let's go through London, Rome, fire. Chicago in the 1800s, fire. None of these are good things. These are all bad outcomes. Those of you not familiar with history, read about the Great Chicago Fire, the Great London Fire, the Great Rome Fire when the Viscots came down. Whoop, burn, baby burn. Okay? The tongue is powerful. That's what he's saying here. And once stuff comes out like a wildfire, you can't control the outcome sometimes. All right? Verses seven and eight as he wraps this up. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And you and I know this too well because everyone in this room has been on the receiving end of criticism and hurtful things and hurtful words and hateful speech. We've been told things like we're stupid, we're lame. All kinds of labels have been applied to us. Sometimes when the other person is just angry and they're venting. And so we know what it is to have the weight of those things stabbed into our hearts. Proverbs puts it this way. Proverbs 18, uh, 21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Words are powerful. They're powerful. And negative words, criticism tends to overshadow or eclipse positive words. One insult plus 1,000 compliments equals what? One insult, all right? Jonathan Acuff tells a story in his book, Start, uh, that is also recorded in the biography of Larry David. It's a story about Larry David. Larry David's a comedian who worked and developed The Seinfeld Show. He also has a show on HBO. I don't get cable, so i got to get this this show right. Uh, Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO. Anyways, the thing about Larry David is he's a New Yorker in the way that Jon Stewart is a New Yorker. He's homebred, grown New York. He lives in L.A. to do all his work for HBO and all the Hollywood stuff he does, but he was in New York City visiting, and he went to a Yankees game, and the managers found out that Larry David was in the stadium. And so... They found him. The announcer in one of the lulls, one of the timeouts, says, Hey everyone, we're thrilled to have with us today in the stadium Larry David. And the camera zooms in, you know, in the big Jumbotron, and they played his theme song. 50,000 people stand to their feet, Go Larry! You know, because they're all born and bred New Yorkers too. This is one of their own coming to the big time. Wrote Seinfeld, woo! they're cheering him. I mean, it's just this magical moment. Can you imagine being Larry David? In the parking lot, on the way to his car, one man says to him, Hey, Larry, you suck. In his biography, do you know what he writes about that moment? Do you know what he thought of the entire way to the airport? Do you know what was on his mind in the plane on the flight back to L.A.? Do you know what he told his his friends when he got back to L.A.? One comment by a stranger in a parking lot had the power to erase 50,000 people cheering for you in a stadium. (laughs) What? So this plays out in your life and in my life. And you and I can actually do some things to lessen the effect of a negative comment. And one way to do it is to ask some really good questions. Okay, So when somebody's saying something to you, making a criticism, lobbying an insult, you need to first ask yourself, who is saying this? Who is saying this? If it's a stranger in the parking lot, if it's A Facebook friend that's not really a Facebook friend, you're not even sure how they got on your Facebook feed, but they made that little nasty comment on your timeline or whatnot, or tagged you in some way. Who is saying this? Who is saying this? And then, why are they saying it? Who is saying this, and why are they saying it? If it's not somebody who loves you dearly and has your best interests at heart, you kind of need to walk away from what's being said. Because it's not going to really, it's not, when it's somebody who loves you profoundly and has your best interests at heart, and they're sheepishly, you know, I just want to point out, whoa, okay, then, then you can take ownership of that dig or that insult or that criticism because there's probably some truth in it. There's something for you in it. Um, the weird thing is this doesn't go away with success. You would think if you became really successful, this would just, you wouldn't have a problem with insults. I, follow, I love to follow Andy Stanley because he's like the preacher's preacher these days. He's like the prima donna of preachers, you know, in the a hierarchy of preachers. You know, there's Andy at the top of the pinnacle. And, and I've noticed in conferences, and now with the book deep and wide, there's something that's come out. And, and I think it has to do with the one criticism that gets lobbied against North Point most consistently, which is, hey, Andy, church is not a business. You run everything like a business. I don't read anything about business in the Bible, Andy. Well, he does a great job deflecting it, but I've noticed in a lot of conferences he's kind of talked about that, and now his latest book is about that, and you know what I think? One insult plus 1,000 compliments equals one insult. That's just armchair psychologist Max talking about it, but this is how that plays out in our lives, all right? So who's saying it? Why are they saying it? And then I'm going to give you some practical advice. So, like, take this with you when you walk out the door, please, especially those of you under the age of, say, 30. I call it my paper rule, Max's paper rule. You ready? If you need to say something that might in the least way be construed as negative or a criticism, never, ever, ever put it in writing. Never send a text. Never send an email. Never, 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 never... How many times? Never write it down. Never. Because a negative word, one negative word can outweigh a thousand compliments. Do you know what a written negative word can do? That's like a hundred thousand compliments to overcome. I mean, the math is astronomical. Okay, so never, never, never put something negative in writing. You're, getting, you're grumpy, and I know for those of us that are younger, that's not me, but I'm, I still want to identify with you all, you know, you're fee- as you're texting your feelings out. And as you're texting somebody, you realize, oh, I'm really mad. That's what I am. I'm mad. See, but once it's on the screen, you know, there's no come backwards. <laughs> you know, and those can be shared and screenshots, and, you know, they come back to it. So I'm just saying, the paper, remember Max's, Uncle Max's paper rule, never, never, never write anything negative in writing. Now, you have something, so always do it in person or by the phone. So if you got something you need to talk about with your mom and dad, with a friend, with whatever, and I know you hate confrontation just the way I do, you're always better off saying it in person or on the phone. On the flip side of that, if you want to compliment someone, if you want to tell them that they rock, if you want to tell them how good they are, or you want to thank them for something they've done for you, by golly, put that on paper. Stick that in the mail they'll probably frame it and put it somewhere. It'll be prominently on their, you know, taped to their mirror when they're getting ready in the morning cuz we all need those things for rainy days when, you know, we want to kick the dog and everyone else, right? So, so if you got something positive, do put it in writing. Here's why this is important. Here's why I'm talking to you about this today. For all of us who've been born again, we've been made new creations in Jesus Christ we've become adopted sons and daughters of a heavenly father god has a lot to say about who we are why would we let one insult one negative thing one comment define who we are in the face of the one who made us in the face of the one who stands in heaven, cheering us on, wanting us to trust him no matter what, wanting to see his will and his wonders play out in and through our lives, why would we allow one negative thing to counter-effect the God of the universe and what he has to say about you and me? And so, again, you've heard Daniel talk about it, you've heard Chris talk about it, you're going to hear me talking about it, you can't escape Bible reading. You just can't. Why? Because when you're reading the Bible and intaking it regularly, you're getting God's perspective about who you are in your mind and in your heart. And that's like it's, like, it's like superpowers or a super cape or an Iron Man-clad suit when it comes to insults. It's just, it's an empowering thing. And I want you to have your super suit when the time comes. I'm done, so I want you to have your supersuit. Okay. Here, This is why this is important. God has a lot to say about who you are in his book. And they're good, good things for everyone who has been born again and adopted into his family.